Welcome to the Free Rohingya Coalition podcast. Um, I am Zani in the UK. Um, today, I have a very distinct and pleasure and honor to host a, a dear colleague uh, in the field of uh, human rights and people's rights promotion. Uh, he is in Italy, um, a well-known um, Italian human rights activist, uh, the Secretary General of Permanent People's Tribunal, the Secretariat of which is based in Rome. Um, Gianni has been, uh, th his full name is Dr. Gianni Tognoni. Um, professionally, he is a medical doctor. He has collaborated with the WHO World Health Organization on a number of uh, you know, policy uh, measures and promotions such as the uh, basic uh, um, you know, drug policies, as well as <clears throat> setting up uh, people's clinics across Africa and Latin America. Um, he also leads a parallel life, as he calls it. Uh, <clears throat> he is or has been involved in promoting, you know, uh, essentially uh, non-UN um, <clears throat> track in the quest for justice and accountability using m popular moral opinion um, in the tr tradition of uh, Bertrand Russell and Paul Sartre's uh, People's Tribunal. He has been very active in this People's Tribunal processes over the last 30 years and his permanent People's Tribunal has run over 40 tribunals. And the two that I have been involved in, uh, first as a member of the panel of judges uh, in 2013 on Sri Lanka, and the second one in 2017 on my native country of Burma or Myanmar. Uh, you know, the, so we've run those sessions in um, Kuala Lumpur and in London. Um, uh, Johnny, can you explain what permanent people's tribunals are and the rationales or the justifications intellectually and morally behind these tribunals? Okay, <clears throat> thanks a lot for this uh, uh, very good uh, introduction. Uh, I, I think that in order to introduce uh, better what are permanent people tribunals, I think it's uh, essential to have some brief historical background because I think the reasons uh, and the timing of the institution of the Permanent People Tribunal are very critical to understand both uh, the original objectives and then the development uh, of the original idea into the 40 or more sessions we had uh, during the year. Now, the, uh, the origin of the Permanent People Tribunal is strictly linked uh, with uh, another experience of uh, tribunals which uh, were established uh, practically in conjunction with people in struggle for deliberation. Because uh, the uh, place uh, uh, where uh, uh, the more or less uh, last uh, 
concrete and symbolic colonial war was fought uh, on Vietnam was in fact the uh, situation which originated a reaction from the point of view of people representing the society with no specific uh, roles in terms of institution, but having clearly the idea that uh, either the right belong to people, not simply to states, otherwise uh, the states will use uh, the national and international law most of the time to control people, not to uh, broaden the space of freedom. And the Russell Tribunal on Vietnam was uh, this uh, first uh, case, which was in fact uh, originated by two persons with nothing to do with uh, classical juridical uh, field like uh, Sartre and uh, Russell, to representative of a cultural attitude of society, which said, look, the society cannot support the crime of silence. If something happens which is against the right to life and dignity of people, this society should take the role which the states do not like to assume. And the experience with Vietnam was expanded and that was the uh, more close uh, uh, place of the um, birth of the tribunal. When the, after the Vietnam uh, in 76, the full uh, uh, region of Latin America was in fact under dictatorships, uh, which were dictatorship of alliance between economic power and military power with the external explicit support of the United States. That was a kind of laboratory of uh, repression of people. And the second Russell Tribunal was in fact where I personally, but uh, Lidio Vasso was the founder of the tribunal. He was one of the representatives of the Italian resistance against Nazism in the liberation war was in fact saying, look, uh, we have to imagine something which is not simply established for each case. We have to think something which could be a permanent uh, instrument uh, ready to assume the cases of people who happen to be in a situation of repression of uh, whatever, repression from the economic point of view. The Russell Tribunal in Latin America uh, was a very long uh, period of preparation because from 73 to 76 we had three sessions of the tribunal with the participation of most of the movements were from exiles, refugees, and also in Europe, but that was a way of putting together and to identify two big challenges which were complementary to each other. The first one, how really to uh, guarantee that the struggler people could be considered struggle not simply of that people, but struggle which belong to the international community. Because uh, if uh, in one place uh, the freedom of a people is suppressed or denied, it means that something is wrong in the international society. And that was not simply the case. Second, it was important to have these struggles very closely challenging the existing international laws. Because law has been created most of the time to 
make things which are being established to be observed. International law was not looking for the future, while in fact with the generation of new problems, it was important to imagine a different way of considering also international law, not more law of the states, but the law of people. And in that sense, the first uh, and real uh, origin of the tribunal, after the conclusion of the uh, Russell Tribunal on Latin America, it was a really a request of all representatives of people of Latin America and all the liberation movement from Africa, the Sahrawi people, somebody from the uh, Timor, the most recent uh, ex-colony of Portugal, they were really asking for something which could be permanent. And in that sense, it was important to have a, a platform, a statute, which was not a statute simply of principles of law, but was really a declaration. And in fact, in Algiers, which was the place of the non-aligned movement at that time, there was the announcement, launching of the international, the universal declaration of the right of people. The, the, the symbolic date uh, is interesting because that was the 4th of July. There were two centuries after the declaration of the United States uh, uh, liberation and the Constitution. And that was the contradiction that those who were the first one to launch the idea of a constitutional declaration of people against the imperial were the powers which were in fact denying the uh, the initiative of people. The declaration, the universal declaration, uh, was really conceived uh, also in terms of a different language. The right of people was something which was not existing. It is not yet existing because, in fact, people do not have a power except through the mediation of states. And that is the big contradiction because if the people could struggle and resist only when they have a power in arm, it is important, and that was the dream of Legio Basso, who was a jurist but a liberation fighter, to make of, of law an instrument of really of struggle, in order to declare that those who are in fact representing fundamental rights for dignity of life, they are in fact the real judges on what is allowed and not allowed. Right. And in that sense, uh, the tribunal was established. Legio Basso died a few months before the formal establishment of the tribunal in 79. And the tribunal was uh, in fact uh, constituted not simply, nor, nor principally by jurists, there were some jurists to assure that, in fact, uh, we were not simply talking militant word, but it was really a kind of construction of a new culture, new doctrines, uh, and at the same time to put into evidence that uh, the uh, violation of fundamental rights is not simply if somebody is put into prison, but if uh, something happened which does not allow a people to develop its own culture and its own uh, project of life through truly democratic election. And that was uh, the uh, origin of the tribunal, which was uh, established with the support of uh, 
some dozen of people who agreed to act as judges uh, completely free. The only condition which was requested was to be very well respected and uh, to document the independence from existing political powers uh, which could be really involved in state uh, uh, reasoning in that sense. And that was a, a very good group representing all, all the continents. People were coming from the uh, fights in Japan against the rearmament of Japan, people from uh, Africa, from Latin America. And that was a diva. And is, uh, the question was how to imagine that thing could happen. And that was the operational statute of the tribunal. The idea was that the tribunal could be convened only if there was a people with its own tools of resistance and representative were requesting, in fact, to make visible the struggles which, were, which was really fought and then to present evidence, facts, through testimonies where, in fact, the victims looking to become really the subject of law. And from that time on, and that close the just the introduction, the tribunal was, each time, there was a request, there was a, a instruction time for the tribunal to verify the representatives of, no, of those who were requesting. And then there was a formal organization of the session, which had to be public, in order to have direct confrontation with uh, the victim, the testimonies, the expert, in a uh, really structured way in order to provide uh, form which had to be very well documented. Yeah. Uh, let, 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 me, let me just uh, stop you there for a moment because uh, there are quite a few very, very important observations that you have shared. One is the... Um, the founder of uh, uh, the, the Italian senator, Bessel, right? uh, the, who founded the permanent institution through which these processes could be extended to all corners of the world. You know? And the, the, uh, what I find interesting is you mentioned that he was an anti-fascist liberation fighter. You know, uh, he lived through the uh, Second World War okay. in Italy under uh, Mussolini's rule, right? Yes. And, uh, also, the way, uh, you know, the entire intellectual and moral orientation of, you know, the, his legal reasoning, he was a jurist himself, jurist, right? Um, the senator, and is very much against the interstate system and all the assemblage of what we call international law, treaties and whatnot. Yeah? And uh, the, uh, the, the reason I, I bring two, two observations up again, based on what you've shared, is the, um, the fact that if you look at the, the resistance tradition in which uh, the founder of PPT 
uh, you know, uh, basically cut his uh, teeth. Uh, we were looking at 1930s and 40s, you know, Europe, where the early rise of fascist states were not resisted by other states. Yeah. It was the people in these states that themselves self-organized resistance movements. If you look at, you know, say uh, Britain, for instance, Britain uh, post facto claimed itself to be the champion of the fight against uh, Nazi Germany and Nazism in Europe. But, if, you know, the, but empirically speaking, Britain was a collaborating state just like France was with Nazis, yeah? And then, so it, 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 it makes perfect sense that the founding, um, you know, the founder of PPT showed a, a, a very critical disbelief that the international law that, it, that is uh, typically controlled by the system of states could deliver fairness and justice and accountability to the victims. Yeah. And then the third element here uh, is, you know, well, first is the, uh, you know, the, the long tradition of resistance that propelled this process and uh, has established and institutionalized. And second is the intellectual and moral critical stance vis-a-vis interstate systems and international law. And the third element you mentioned is the uh, the victim's involvement. You know, uh, from my limited um, uh, experience with the PPT, PPT puts a, a high premium on the voice yeah, of the victims themselves. Often, like you know, that um, we see people see rightly justice as victor's justice never victim's justice right and then the fourth element here is the um, uh you know the emphasis on people because the, you know so far i mean we're in a, in a 20 minutes of conversation you have not used the word human rights uh, you know i find that right really intriguing because uh, in 1945, Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted. Obviously, by 1976, yeah, at the end of the Vietnam War, human rights was not a prominent element uh, guiding any state's national or international policies as a result of the Cold War, right? And uh, so therefore, uh, you were talking about LGR, declaration of the rights of people. Can you explain the fundamental difference intellectually and morally between the rights of the people and the established declaration of human rights? Because that will be really important for us to understand that yeah. you are not reinventing the wheel and that uh, you are presenting something or filling the vacuum that was never meant to be filled by state powers. Yeah, uh, no, you're, Presidio, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, 
you mentioned the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 45, and as you say, uh, doctrinally and morally, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was in fact a declaration of people. The preamble says clearly, we people of the art, we are those who are representing. Then there was a, the, what was clear from the point of view of those who had to be represented in the real life had to be people with, with the government truly representing their struggle of liberation. The most of the states had, on the other hand, the constitutions which were more and more looking for internal affairs, not for the universal respect. See, the constitution, the Italian constitution, which was in that sense very interesting because that was drafted and approved by representatives of the Italian resistance. Legio Basso was one of the writers of that constitution. And the article three of the constitution was clearly saying that the law cannot be considered something which is established. Law is a research, permanent research project. Principles which are declared must be translated and attributed to the universal people of that country. Till this is not occurring, law is in fact failing to be defender of human rights is in fact dependent on the equilibrium of power in that specific country, for instance. That, if that is occurring at the national level, that is occurring even more dramatically internationally, where constitutions represent, or democratic constitution, constitution which are in fact recognizing the, yeah, the fact that human rights are a mandate which is uh, uh, obligatory is not simply a kind of principle, must be applied. If uh, this is not applied, there is not a judge outside which could uh, really impose or redress the situation. And in that sense, uh, the uh, struggles of people, be, and that is a continuity of struggles, Internally, Leglio Basso and other, or that right, there is a continuity between the struggles of, for instance, of workers for their rights and uh, the struggles of workers internationally, because otherwise, one. So, the uh, a global world must have a, a law which is, in fact, considering not the states are the subjects and the guarantors of law, but the people represented by the state, and as much as the uh, state do not represent people, is in fact something which requests a different law, which is international law. And the fact of having a declaration which is a provocative statement, saying, look, uh, uh, the permanent uh, situation will be a separation which was becoming more and more severe during the 70s because 
the season of the principles was over. And then the uh, powers of the states, economic powers, military, and all the alliance were in fact leaving aside any evolution which was, for it, it is clear, for instance, that uh, one uh, classical situation, one of the first cases of the tribunal was the case for uh, uh, Argentine, and the, the case was a case where there was a question, what is happening in Argentina is or not a genocide? And the international law will say no, and the tribunal will say yes. There is something there because even if you could discuss at length, if all the very fine definition are applied, there is a reality which is becoming really the protagonist, not simply the jurors who are interpreting an existing law. And in the meantime, people are dying. And that was the situation which was appearing uh, session after session. The Sahrawi people was in that sense, uh, the Eritrean. And not for nine, uh, the tribunal had to fight, and you know better than anybody else because you were so much involved, that the genocide, which was uh, a definition which was considered to be too serious to be applied, in fact, was uh, the most uh, close to the definition of the really plans of states in excluding the application of democratic lawyer. What happens, I think, and that is something which is very important for the tribunal now even more, and after also the case you were mentioning. Take, for instance, now a problem which is typical for us, the problem of the migrants. We have interest in the people of migrants. The migrants are people, do not exist. And in fact, the fact they do not exist, they can be considered non-humans. Because if you have not a qualification which apply your human being as a human and citizen of, you are no more a human. And in that sense, the uh, tribunal, which insists in declaring the people of a migrant, not simply the sum of so many migrants from different situations. The migrants are an indicator of something which is lacking in the present situation of the world. The recognition that in a global world where every, all the rights of the goods are recognized, the rights of the humans, which are not simply recognized by the states, do not have a place where to be recognized. Even the International Criminal Court is not, in fact, a court of people, just the opposite. It seems to say that even the economic crimes are not recognized as a really uh, crimes which are against uh, the human rights and the rights of people because they are dependent on another order, which is uh, the, uh, the World Trade Organization or whatever. So the tribunal, that's my possible bias as uh, one who is looking, working for certain research. I, and, but now it's growing that, that either the international law is becoming a full research discipline and struggle of the world, Otherwise, is becoming 
in fact, uh, what is the guarantee of those who have the power in their hands? And that is the uh, uh, per permanent in the note we have sent uh, to uh, the European Union for the migration. We were uh, using formally, and you will recognize uh, what has been the experience this, the, what is an ongoing genocide is something which is there. Everybody could see that. Everybody could apply that, but there is nobody who has the uh, courage of recognizing that, in fact, if you apply this uh, category of international law, which do exist, you are obliged to change the equilibria of economic military powers and alliance. And in fact, international law is becoming, in this sense, uh, almost useless and sometimes very confusing in this situation because uh, it's simply declaring something which corresponds to uh, laws which are no more uh, apt to judge or to assess or to promote, which would be even more important, what are the challenges of today. Yeah, um, I, I share your, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, very blunt, um, you know, criticism of the importance or impotency of international law as it exists, yeah? not as the people would wish it to be. In other words, it's, in, it's ineffective in either preventing or establishing accountability for uh, international crimes committed often against either human persons or humans as populations or groups, which is the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the essence of the uh, Genocide Convention. But uh, you also mentioned that national law uh, is in the hands of state power, but international law, you know, in effect, you said, is in a worse of situation because it does not have an enforcing or enf a law enforcement agencies. Yeah. We have a peacekeeping force under the auspices of UN and we have Interpol, but th they all, you know, are dictated by various state powers with their economic, ideological, and the political genders, right? So what is lost in, in these mazes of international states, international law and power is the human persons and groups of humans. And, and the, you know, the case of migrants, you know, you mentioned is spot on because you know, both law and legal institutions and judicial processes, including the UN, they are all human inventions and, uh, you know, manufactured um, entities. And yet, um, when you put human persons, either within the context of a nation state or, you know, en route from one state to another, there's like migratory paths. 
the actual human persons lose or, or are forced to lose their humanity or dignity. Humans without rights are worse than pets and cats, dogs and cats in our home, right? And they are not protected by anyone. That is why, you know, the, the people around the world, particularly in capitalist societies, have been thoroughly brainwashed to object to, you know, material vandalism, which is like smashing Starbucks or Pizza Hut or cafe bars in Rome. That is, you know, that would cause outrage and outcry. That would trigger law enforcement. But if you beat up migrants, if you allow them to, to be chased away from the coast of Italy or France or, you know, anywhere in Mediterranean or, you know, English Channel, we don't have public outcry. But we have out public outcry if someone smashes Starbucks windows, right? And then so, so this legal fiction has thoroughly brainwashed the people in terms of our priority. Our priority should be the, the concern for and solidarity with other fellow humans, you know, with flesh and blood, just like us. And yet we want to protect, you know, corporate citizens, which is an organization organized and, um, you know, legalized as citizens with rights. If you look at the American uh, law, or economic organizations are granted legal citizen status with all the rights, but because they are organization, they have no obligations beyond paying taxes. Yeah, and so, so this is an extremely crucial moral and intellectual project that you've been involved in over the last say, thirty or four, uh, thirty plus years. What are the cases? that you find most fascinating that have you know contributed to strengthening or expanding the struggles of the people you know latin america asia and other in uh, africa as well you know i think like uh, you were also involved with the uh the workers rights as well because any human grouping that is engaged in struggle ppt is there as a recourse, as as an ally, as opposed to international law that remains, you know, indifferent to human sufferings and uh, is interpreted by lawyers and states. Uh, no, thanks for this. Uh, I, I I fully agree, and think that would be important to really translate also what you are saying in what I consider a priority for an organization like the Permanent People Tribunal, really in a formal collective research project in order to reformulate some category themselves because the language of international law is also very confusing. But in that sense, it's very good uh, the idea of having some model cases because for instance, what I consider, we have just finished uh, a book where we were trying to see uh, 
what was uh, uh, fil rouge, uh, just a red thread uh, across some of the main session of the tribunal. And uh, I think that the, the first uh, critical uh, session, which uh, was touching your points and the contradiction, was when uh, there was a decision in uh, 88, uh, we were uh, before the wall of Berlin and something like that. There was a movement in Europe of different groups uh, where uh, declaring that uh, the real criminals uh, were in fact two UN or UN-based or linked institution, the IMF and the World Bank. And the tribunal was requested to uh, judge IMF and the World Bank. And most of the, say, the judges say, but you are crazy, what does it mean? They don't have personality. So that was a contradiction. But the tribunal took the decision, and at that time, the president of the tribunal was an uh, international lawyer, Rigaud, was, however, in private law, saying, no, no, that, that is the, the critical step. We have to recognize, and the tribunal recognized, the main contribution of the tribunal is to recognize that there is a full spectrum of violation which are not subject to law, and which declare that since they are complying with legal terms of their statutes, they could forget people because they observe rules. And in that sense, I think that the, if you take the verdict of the IMF and World Bank, was in fact the first of, a, uh, of the declaration that the world had evolved since the Second World War. And the powers, the economic powers, uh, which were also independent from states, they were simply dependent from rules created from outside which were excluding, as is the case for all what happens in the economy, economy consider human being as a confounding variable. They must be canceled out. And if uh, they present themselves as the subject and the protagonist, obviously they are expelled from the consideration. The second uh, session was uh, for based in Latin America. But I think that is a text which would be interesting to develop much more because uh, at the occasion of the fifth centennial, the discovery of uh, America, the tribunal had a session on the origin of international law. And uh, there was the origin of international law, which was said that there was a original sin if you have to use uh, uh, language of the conquest of America. The original sin of international law, which was then always the characteristic of international law, that international law is, has been established to justify the powers and the conquest of states. And that has been the structural and doctrinal background. In that sense, put into evidence that whatever is more in the favor of states and not on the real population is something which is by definition a violation of fundamental rights and must be taken through different to judgment. And in that sense, uh, the other situation which I feel is important one 
was indirectly mentioned by you, was the fact when we had a session on the platform for the living wages of the women of the textile industry in Southern uh, Asia. Because at that point, again, was a transversal people, where people from India, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, but there was a platform of women were in fact representing something which do not exist in, in law. Because they were workers, and in the sense that the workers, they have trade unions in each state, but in fact their fate is not decided by independent trade unions or government. They are dependent on the global power and the uh, supply chain of governments uh, is obviously more powerful than any government which is dependent. And the fact of considering this platform, which international platform of women, were presenting a wage with a con uh, definition, which is different from the contractual definition, is a living wage. Wage must be something which allows a life in dignity you cannot consider wage as a component of a contract. We have to create something different. And that was recognized also, in principle at least, by the ILO, because said, obviously, we are still in a pre-global era in our law of work, because nothing. And in that situation, we have other uh, situations where, for instance, all the extractive industry which uh, is made in Canada, where in fact the, those who are controlling things are in one place, in one country, then the, their uh, action are in another country, and uh, everything is under economic contracts which do not consider human rights, except they say, certainly, I agree that I will respect, but the uh, degree of obligatoriness of the, what has to do with uh, economic equilibria is totally different with respect to what has to do with women, with uh, human beings. And in that sense, the three sessions we had in Southern African countries were in fact multinationals from different countries, from different uh, area of interest, from mining to agriculture, something like that, they joined their effort in order to oblige government transversely to uh, apply things which are favoring what are the official uh, evaluation of the internal product, the national product, but which are not responding to uh, uh, fundamental rights. It's interesting to see that in some cases, if uh, in some constitutional state, like for instance Canada, you are able to show that something has been happening which has violated personal human rights of some individuals, it's possible that the Supreme Court recognized that, in fact, constitutions must comply with fundamental principles and law and not simply to uh, economic power. But if, like in Europe now, the Italian constitution, from the point of view, for instance, of respect is the fundamental right to health, is uh, practically uh, tracked by a uh, European 
rules which say that in fact we must comply with the economic equilibria and the fact of having to respect the debt to the interest of the debt has made Italy violating in fact the fundamental rights of all to health which is a constitutional right. But that is the full spectrum, is the full spectrum of our life, which under threat. Yeah. Um, can you touch on, uh, you know, a few country-specific cases um, that uh, the Permanent People's Tribunal have uh, taken on board? And uh, you've been involved in so many different uh, tribunals personally. And... Um, how does this process work? Say, for instance, that you know, a community of people under uh, structural and deep and sustained oppressions, say like the Tamils or the uh, you know the the Rohingyas and other minorities of Burma. How do no. how do they get? Uh, how do these tribunals get established, and who trigger these? Uh, as you say, the situations are very different. You were mentioning uh, situations like, say, Tamil or Rohingyas, which uh, you know very well and possibly being discussed, because the, it is is difficult, very difficult to have uh, people from uh, inside the country could contribute because of the degree of repression. Which, in that sense, obviously, we are looking for those who are representing those people in the refugee, the people who are in fact able to represent uh, with facts uh, what is the situation which is against uh, uh, really the international uh, principles. Because the problem is that the, uh, those states are obliged in principles to respect that. But if they do not respect, at least we recognize. And in that sense, it's important because those documents which we produce could then be used, have been used sometimes also to raise some of the problems. For instance, I think now there is the International Commission in Colombia. We had a tribunal in, on Colombia where all the points which were then later considered for the uh, reconciliation of truth, which is a very complicated affair with so many people who are assassinated because the government is not collaborating. But at least to show that what we need really is to uh, create uh, also internationally something which was uh, uh, more uh, part of a culture when we were, for instance, supporting or Vietnam or the people of the colony in Portugal or Timor, there were uh, awareness of the population in our country that uh, we were one world. Now, paradoxically, everything has become more global, but the political contents of the policies of our government are completely out of the consideration of people. And that is, uh, again, a big challenge of the tribunal. We have seen uh, for uh, Tamil, uh, as you say, for the Rohingyas, there was a big support. Things are clear, but then 
the international so-called community is really absent. There is a responsibility. The European Union is a disaster in that sense. If we see what happens in those days for migrants, the Greek government, which was in fact even recently repressed, which leave everything, and then Turkey. So we are really facing even more now, possibly, a new uh, challenge for the tribunal to try to see and possibly to say that what we need is really, uh, as it was the dream of Basso, a tribunal which is supporting a global struggle. What is lacking today is a more systematic struggle where we could see that uh, between migrants, Rohingyas, Tamil, uh, other groups, is the same because all of those people are in fact considered non-existent, desaparecidos. They have really, uh, as Galeano was saying, they are nobody. While in fact it's important to make that part of the uh, new challenges and that is a big, big problem. I don't know whether the young generation will understand that through the fact that they feel now to be part of a global generation for the environment, but there is a, a fact that there is not an experience of real struggle in our countries. Uh, and in that sense, uh, uh, the urgency of being uh, part of a global struggle is becoming a problem. We are trying to raise also some consciousness uh, among uh, uh, people who are working in uh, law, because they have a very important, and to create an alliance possibly with, between some economists and some jurists, because to break the alliance of uh, the separation of economy from the uh, human rights, and in that sense, uh, is important, sorry, uh, is important to create new alliances and new structure in that sense. Certainly, we are very, very poor with tribunal in terms of communication. We have no structural funds, but we hope that one of the strengths at the origin of the tribunal was that those were really the protagonists. Say, my generation, I am now very old, but we were the first generation who became adult after the resistance. And for us, the resistance was a memory. Now we have to transmit to the new generation the urgency and the global value of the resistance. Just to link, there is a very good article today of Castellina and the Manifesto, to link the new struggle ecologies to the all the struggle, the capitalism, Marxist, because uh, we are really living a time of uh, transformation and uh, certainly the fact of putting together the various experience would allow at least to understand better what could be done and what are the priorities. Well, I mean, that you know, often we have been taught to uh, look at law, whether national or international, as as something that is immutable, right? Abstract, 
and ideals and principles are encoded in these, you know, uh, the written discourses that we call generally law. And, uh, you know, what, what is really interesting here is the, uh, you know, similar conclusion, conclusions drawn by two very different individuals involved with different types of justice processes. One is a friend of mine in, um, in Ireland who used to work with the, uh, at the International Court of Justice, you know, the, uh, at The Hague, not the International Criminal Tribunal, but the, uh, essentially uh, the UN's World Court that uh, the, uh, the gets involved with legal disputes and challenges between and among states. What he was saying when he was pressed, that law in and of itself cannot guarantee justice or accountability or fairness. That law has to be one of many tools in the arsenal of people who seek justice. But this is coming from a lawyer and a PhD scholar who believes in international institutions. And they're like, you know, you are drawing similar conclusion. The existing laws and judicial processes and governing institutions that cluster around the United Nations or whatever that comes afterwards, right, um, cannot guarantee justice, fairness. Therefore, people have to use other means if they seek accountability and justice. So that, that basically in establishes not the neutrality of the law as such, but impotency of law as a justice giver, right? And, um, and so I think, I, I hope um, uh, that you live as long as you possibly can <laughs> uh, in order for this institution to continue, to continue on. And I also hope that um, you identify younger generations passionate about and, you know, um, the, the, the deeply reflective of these processes to basically take over the baton from you. Yeah? And uh, any, any, any final parting thought on um, resistance law and the, uh, the, the role of the PPT uh, before we end our conversation? No, I think that uh, I think that your link to uh, resistance and young generation. I think that if I could say that the priority I see really based on the experience is really to make all the efforts to transform really the role of law, as it was the case for the. Uh, after the resistance, the first struggle of workers to have their rights recognized. They were real big struggles. And then the law was obliged to recognize that. The same was true for uh, the, some liberties of the civil society for, say, uh, abortion or whatever. But we have to transform the messages uh, in order to see that we are not discussing of legal problems. We are discussing about the right to life, and the right to life cannot be considered exclusively or 
principally the decision of judges, whatever the goodness of these judges. And it's important really to create new groups of judges, economists. We have now a work, an economist working very well in that sense also with us. We have to possibly put more effort in linking various groups. That was a big uh, importance at the beginning to show that it was important and possible at that time to have a network of internationally concerned. And I think that the experience I had with uh, you and the Tamil and the Rangers was very good. Certainly the universities today are not so much involved. So we have really to look for partners, uh, allies in most part of the society. But uh, despite the age, <laughs> I am still uh, looking forwards. And I thank you also for all what I received from you. Yeah, thank you. And then you will be delivering a message of um, solidarity with the genocide survivor next week in Italian language. Italian language. Okay, absolutely. Thanks a yeah. lot. Thank okay. you so much, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.